expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's that time once again for another rousing edition of that Down and Nerdy podcast, episode 81 as a matter of fact, and I can't help but wonder how long it's going to be before Wonder Woman starts listening to Beyonce. Can you imagine like Wonder Woman and Steve Rogers together like at a, a club or just like at a old school social? That would, you know be, that would be kind of crazy. I mean, I actually could kind of see that. It would be in- insane like because he doesn't know much about today's culture. I mean, she doesn't really know much either per se but she's got a little bit more notice knowing what's going on but that'd be awkward though <laughs> that would be really awkward especially once Superman oh i just want to see room. wonder woman and steve rogers at a rave <laughs> i i don't think that would work at all i, could, yeah, I, like I, a, I can't see steve rogers steve, Rod- steve rogers jumping up and down like a captain america shield pacifier in his mouth i just don't see that <laughs> Wonder Woman, <laughs> maybe, but Captain Language, Steve Rogers, no. Captain Language? No, I just don't see it. Well, I guess we should probably introduce ourselves at some we point. Should. I'm James Witham alongside. Wonder Woman, no. Um, sometimes. That'd be cool. <laughs> Can you imagine if I just showed up dressed as Wonder Woman some random place? That 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 would be a little weird. Actually, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, hey, if you got the underoos, flaunt them. Anyway. <laughs> and while you try to conjure up the image, that summons uh, live hair. Let's just live. Yeah, that. Hair. Yeah, that's exactly what it would be. Uh, but I'm the Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia, and James. Last week was such a fun and terrific show. Man, it just seems like it's fun and terrific every week. But when you get to sit down with somebody as great as Vanessa Marshall, I mean, I hope you guys watched Guardians of the Galaxy, the animated series, because it's so much fun. And of course, it's going to be on Star Wars Rebels coming up about a week from now, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, check that out, too. But she's just so great. And even so, I wish you guys could hear some of the stuff we talked about once we kind of stopped rolling, yeah. too, because there was a lot of fun there as well. So we just thank her for being on the show. Well, I mean, the thing that's cool is, I mean, I was on Twitter you know, on Saturday and everything else. And a lot of people were loving it, man. A lot of people were digging it. It was great to see, you know, people like Vanessa and our friend David Sobolov and the the whole entire cast and crew of, you know, Guardians getting some love on social media and people were digging it and digging the art style and the whole tone of the show. And uh, I'm glad a lot of people enjoyed our interview with her. We got another Awesome interview lineup this week, James. Yep, and it's going to be from a comic, uh, his first, actually, creator-owned comic from Image. It's Scotty Young, and it's going to be the comic I Hate Fairyland, and i got to tell you, it's not at all what you're expecting, and we can't wait to... I mean, it's not coming out until later in, later this month, Yeah, but we're going to tell you all about it this week, and you're going to want to add this to your poll. Oh yeah. You're going to definitely want to add it to your poll. I mean, just, just the title alone. I hate fairyland. And then when you see the cover of, I hate fairyland. Yeah. You, yeah. It's just, I mean, there were some times, man, where I was sitting on my couch reading this and I'm like, Oh wow. This just happened. <laughs> yep, and I, and I legit laughed out loud several times reading it to the point where my wife says, what are you laughing at? So I had to <laughs> you, show her what her, I was laughing at. <laughs> then you showed her and she's like, Oh my God, you're demented. Well, no, as an avid fan of South Park, she gets it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean that, I mean, it was very, there were some, a lot of very South Park moments I thought. 
There was a pretty the cool. There was a pretty cool uh, Star Wars nod there too. We won't oh, get there to really that, was. There really, really, really was. But again, Scotty Young's gonna be our guest this week. But coming up next, before we dive into his comic, I Hate Fairyland, we're gonna dive into two separate comics this week. That's right. It's what we're reading. It's coming up next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer Elliot Rayhall and Donna Kate, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. And of course, this segment is always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for your nerd heart and the nerds that you love. So, James, I'm gonna go first this week, and I went indie, and I decided there was a, there was a, a series that I literally. Always wanted to get into, but it was one of those things where I I saw the third issue was coming out. I'm like, well, damn, I'm two issues behind. Yeah. So what I did was I literally purge read Godzilla and Hell from IDW. Did you like get the scotch tape and put it on your eyeballs and so you could keep the the lids open <laughs> so you could just power read through the whole thing? Well, it was actually an easy read because in issues one and three. There are no words whatsoever. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, that's very helpful. <laughs> uh, the book's like 25 pages long, but in, in issue two, you know, there was some more, it was narration that you were reading. You know, here, let's stop for a second because what is it with you in reading comics with no words in them? Well, Did you realize that? You had Minions from Titan, which yep. you did the written review of on downandnerdypodcast.com. Yep. And now this. It's like, how do these find you? <laughs> well, James, to be honest, I can't read. Um, oh, well, I, I, I like to point at pictures and go, ah! That's a real world problem right there. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But I'm going to be reviewing issue number three of Godzilla and Hell, which, is, of course, is the newest issue. It actually came out this week from IDW. Now, it was written by Ulysses Ferenius and Eric Freitas. Now, the art is done by Buster Moody and the color assist by Ludwig Laguna Olimba. And letters and creative consultant, of course, is Chris Maury. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Now, I'm going to talk about issue two and issue three in particular. And I'm not reviewing issue two, but it kind of ties into my review of three. So, Maury is, has done pretty much every issue so far, at least from what I've seen, when it comes to letters and creative consulting. Now, art and story are done by different people. Every issue is different. Wow, really? I mean, I could see that for the art, but the story, that's that's kind of interesting. And it's a problem because the thing is, is this is a five-issue monthly. So you have five issues and you have five people telling the same story and trying to connect and have different art, art styles. Yeah. It really hurts it. And, you know, I, why do I bring up issue two? Well, here's the reason. Bob Eggleton... When I, when I read issue one, I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be one of those series where I'm just going to check out because the art's not that great. And, you know, with Minions, there was no narration, but it worked because you had scenes working out so you could tell what was going on. Right. With Godzilla and Hell, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, okay, he's in hell, but never explains why or how he, he, Godzilla went to hell. And it's just him fighting every panel, just him fighting something different, which is cool, but I kind of want a bit more direction, and then instead of just fight, fight, fight. Um, then you get to issue two. And issue two has narration, and the art is by Eggleton is beautiful, and Bob Eggleton, again, did the art and the story both. And he did the narration and the art, James. It's like something you go to see at an art museum 
and it's just that beautiful. Wow. Like that, it's that's art museum something. quality. And then I'm like, okay. And it was one of those issues where I'm like, okay, issue two got me back. I'm excited. Let's see where issue three goes. And then I get to issue three, and it's back to what issue one did. The art's not the best. Um, there's these, this little story that kind of goes around with like these little fairy angel things. They're like, Godzilla, we want you to be part of our army and everything okay. else. And I'm like, <laughs> and that's the only type of dialogue in it. Are these little angels saying that? Um, and pretty much, and also like, welcome to hell and stuff like that. And, and the art's not the greatest. And like him, he fights space Godzilla. And if you're somebody who doesn't know much about Godzilla, you know, mythos or anything like that, you would know who he was fighting. You thought he was fighting a Zord from Power Rangers. Yeah, I'm just, even I'm confused now. We've got fairies and space Godzilla. Yeah. I'm like, what, what did you read, because, like, man? Were you tripping whole... on acid when you were reading? I mean, yeah. <laughs> no. it just doesn't sound right at but all. It's like issue two, it ends with him getting out of hell through like this whirlpool or whatever. And then he's like in Brazil because there's Cristo, you know, the big Christ statue. <laughs> so he was flushed down the hell toilet. Pretty basically. much. <laughs> he was pretty much flushed down the hell toilet. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. And I'm just like, why? Like I was confused. I'm like, Oh no. I went right back to what issue one was doing. All the problems issue one had. And I know it's a five part series. And this is normally where I would say, yeah, it's five parts, stick it out. But, I mean, if Eggleton isn't doing any other issues, I see no reason to get this series at all. Like, honestly, the way issue two reads, dude, it reads like a one-off. Like, it, it, And it, it would be reads... different if that's what it was. If it was like, okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to do like five different stories over the course of five months. If you were getting a different story every time, I could see being, oh, cool, okay, so this is going to work, so next right. week we'll get something different. But if this is an ongoing, and it seems to, to me like it is, it's just, that's weird. I don't it's know why all, you would jump like that. It's all linear, and it's confusing. And I'm like, I'm reading issue two, and I'm saying to myself, I'm like, wow, this reads like an annual, like a one-off, and it's a perfect one-off because he's in hell, and then it ends with him getting out. You know, and fighting and all these different monsters. And then there's narration. That's what it's awesome by. When you – I mean, the thing is, is people say, what's the difference between Minions and Godzilla and Hell outside of the publishers? When Minions, because it didn't have any words in it, the thing was they were doing things outside of not just fighting. They were doing things that, like, led – you know, it read like a yeah. comic strip, like an old comic strip that you laughed at. This was just fighting, 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 fighting. And you didn't know – it was like watching – it was kind of like – when you're reading a Michael Bay Transformers movie where you don't know what's doing, what's going on and who's transforming into what because it's all just close-up of metal, pretty much. Not only that, but, I mean, it's called Godzilla in Hell and he gets out in issue two? Yep. Well, I mean, he's not really in Hell anymore now, is he? No. <laughs> That's the other thing. So I guess I guess you can't call it Godzilla and, was in Hell. And then I saw an issue four comes out next month and I saw the cover art for it. I'm like... Again, I'm like, it's not issue two, though. Like, it's not the issue two art. And so, I mean, with this, I got to give it a drop, man. Right. Like, like I'd say this. Get issue two because it really is that awesome. Like, literally get it. Bob Eggleton does great work with issue two. And again, it reads like a one-off. So can you, you do that, though, without reading issue one? You can? Yes. Yes, okay. you can. Yes, you can. Um, you can do that without reading issue one. Uh, because the narration makes it so. But yeah, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a drop for me outside of go out and buy issue two, man. That's all I can say. I, I was struggling with giving it a rating. Because I'm like, do I want to give it a pickup? Do I want to give it a drop? What do I give it? Because, again, there's two issues left. 
But I fear that, you know, outside of issue two with issue three, you know, it just, it didn't, it didn't connect. And it was just that one thing when you saw, you know how at the end of every comic has that coming up next month and he has a cover of it. Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, this is good. This is going to go downhill. And it did. So again, Godzilla and Hell is a drop for me. However, go out and buy issue two, if that makes any sense at all. All righty. Well, I mean, if you're a Godzilla fan, that sounds like something that would make sense. And this week, Nick, I decided to go the Marvel route. And I went back a couple of weeks. Oh, are you to, trying to get my, are, you, are you trying to get my good graces, sir? Yes, I am. I am. Mm-hmm. I'm sucking. I'm sucking up big time right now. There I you actually, are. I actually went back just a couple of weeks because this is something I did have my eye on, but didn't get a chance to read it until now. It's Captain America White Number One, which <laughs> actually got a lot of press. I don't know why it's called Captain America White. Let's just put that out there right now. I have no idea. I mean, it's from apparently Marvel just does this because they had like a Daredevil Yellow. And uh, I think it was Spider-Man Gray or it was Hulk Gray or something like okay. that. There is no reason at all that this should be called Captain America White. I mean, at not, all. Not to bring this up. Well, actually, I, I mean, you can't not bring it up. But when you have now, and this is, I'm being serious here. When you have now in the current comics where Falcon is now Captain America and he's yeah. African-American. And then you go out and you name... Let's name a comic Captain America White. Yeah, it wasn't the best choice. It wasn't the best choice. No, and and I totally get that. And yeah, and that is all kidding aside, because I kind of thought the same thing. I'm like, really? That's really? what you want to do? Yeah. Okay. Back to the actual comic itself. People that I'm sure had nothing to do with the actual name were Jeff Loeb, who wrote it, <laughs> and Tim Sale, who did the art, and they had color assists from Dave Stewart and lettering by Richard Starkings. Now, there was also a designer. No idea why. John Roscoe actually did the design. Not yeah. sure exactly what that means, but I mean, if you look at the art, I would again say, just like you said, it's a very museum quality looking art. It almost looks almost like it's a watercolor, but right. you know how the, the Egyptian hieroglyphics, the colored ones, yeah. have that kind of, oh, how do I describe it? Almost cloud type tone to it. Kind of like, 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 a, like a murky kind yes. of... Yes. Turn to it? Okay, yeah. It's very much like that. And it's actually really, really cool. And the colors just jump right off the page from Dave Stewart. So they definitely picked a good combination. And what was cool about this is it's very much a throwback. This is basically when Captain America first wakes up kind of thing. We're going back to that. Okay. And you see the other Avengers there when he wakes up. Ant-Man's there. Uh, Iron Man's there. Thor's there. And it's the classic costumes for Iron oh, really? Man and stuff like that. So that was really cool to see but that I they mean, did. Still, though, they have to call it Captain America White. It, like, if, because, if it was, if it was black like, and white, it would be different. You could say, like, Captain America Red, White, and Blue, or Captain America Blue or Red or whatever. Yeah, I, you know, I, Captain America I, White. I, I, yeah, I do think that was a little bit of a poor choice. But, I mean... <laughs> You, what it does is it kind of dives into the actual war itself when okay, he's part cool. of the war. And it's him, you know, with the Highland Commandos. And the thing that kind of struck me is everybody hates Captain America. <laughs> they all hate him. They think he's a glory boy and that he's not a real soldier and stuff like that. And, Buck, and Bucky's there and he's classic Bucky yeah. in the classic Bucky costume too. And he kind of mouths off to the Howling Commandos. Like there's one line where he looks at, uh, I think it's Dum Dum Dugan. Yeah. He tells him your mustache is stupid. Shave it off. <laughs> <laughs> like that. So that was really funny. That's kind of like what I say about you and your goatee sometimes. Every now and then, but I think it's sexy, so I'm going to keep it. Uh, <laughs> no, your wife thinks it's sexy. That, well, that's part of it too. But I mean, there's, it does get a little bit serious 
uh, towards the end of the issue because there's there's tension between Cap and Bucky, and we know what happens to Bucky, and they get into that in this issue as well. So it had its moments of humor. It kind of painted a different picture of what's going on with Cap when he's actually fighting in the war, which is something they kind of glossed over mm-hmm. in the movies. I mean, <laughs> I know that they covered that some guys didn't like Cap in the movies and he didn't get a whole lot of respect, but it really gets into more detail in that, in this, dumb, in this issue. Dum Dum Dugan's just sitting there like, look at this guy with his red boots and winged mask. Like he's some big thing. Pretty much. That's, that's very similar to what was going on. Actually. His, and it goes him, back to him. He's nothing but a war bonds pusher. And, and yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Well, and it I'm even goes back to, no, <laughs> that actually kind of not those exact words, but very similar to that. And it even goes back to Nick Fury when he was with the Howling Commandos uh-huh. fighting in there as well. And then when Cap wakes up, of course, it's an older Nick Fury and he's the only one that's kind of survived and that really knows, you know, what's going on with, with Steve Rogers I and Captain America. Oh no, Sam Jackson and the Howling Commandos show. That would be really cool. Be I hope they great. do some sort of, if they make a Nick Fury movie, that's the Nick Fury movie that I want. I want to go back. <laughs> the because Sam Jackson Howling Commando. Why? Why the hell not? Uh, oh, I'm let's do... sick and tired of these motherfucking Nazis. It's motherfucking Europe. Yeah, let's do the Pulp Fiction version of Sam Jackson and the Howling <laughs> Commando. Like, he's like gun to Hitler. <laughs> he's reading the whole. Uh... My Royale with cheese only costs a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a gun to Hitler. Rain down upon those! <laughs> I'll strike them upon me with furious vengeance. That is a nasty Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's gotta happen now. It's like the Howling Commandos meets Shaft meets Pulp Fiction. I don't care how it has to happen, but now it has to happen. <laughs> uh, back to back to this issue really quick. It did have an issue zero in there with it as well, where it kind of talks about how Bucky finds out who Captain America is and stuff like that. And I mean, that was a fun read, but it really wasn't, you know, it was, it was almost like, a, okay, we're going to go back to a prequel t- type thing now. So I wasn't really too interested in that. I, I too kind of struggled giving a rating to this. I'm like, okay, I liked it. Did I love it? I don't know. So I'm going to settle on saying that this is a pickup okay. because there were times where, I felt like it could have picked up the pace a little bit. I do think that the the, the art is fantastic. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Tim Sale's art is absolutely fantastic. So, I mean, if you're, if you're in it just for the art, it's probably going to be a poll for you. I'm not saying Loeb's story is bad. It's just like, it's hard to tell a story that you know has kind of been told before. Right. But they're trying to go into more detail on something that really hasn't. So, you want it to pick up the pace because you know where it's going. And I'm not sure that that's his fault. So that's why I'm kind of saying it's a pickup for me because you could kind of get lost in the fact that they do drag it out a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, that's going to do it for this week and what we're reading. So again, I did Godzilla in the hell and I said it's a drop. However, pick up issue two though. Again, issue three, not the best, not the greatest. Uh, so again, the series for me is a drop, but go pick up issue number two because I think you really, really enjoy it, especially with the art and the narration. And James did Captain America White. Again, Captain America White by James from Marvel, and that's going to do it. Come up next is this week in Geek Tainment. We're going to be reviewing Marvel's Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. The new season is upon us, and so are the Inhumans. Next. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Well, our trip around the Fall TV Roundtable continues, and Nick, this is a show that we've been hard on in the past, but it's now in its third season, and it's Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which actually premiered this week. And i got to say, this is probably the best S.H.I.E.L.D. premiere for me that I think they've had so far. Definitely, and the reason why I think that is, now, as people know, if you've gone back to a previous show, I said, I went back, I said, you know what, I'm going to give it, you know, go back on Netflix and watch the last two seasons, get caught up on it, and take it for what it is. And when they opened up with this guy that's inhuman, just melting things and he touches, and then what we see, we see Daisy, who she's not been called Quake yet, but she's yep. flipping cars over and mm-hmm. pushing these, you know, soldiers around, and it's like, it's pedal to the metal. It's kind of everything you wanted it to be. Like it, it picked, you know what I'm saying? It started off. That's like, exactly my point. Pedal. Yeah, that's exactly my point. It's everything that you wanted it to be, but it didn't lose the stuff that did make it work for like the humor elements where I was there. You mentioned Daisy where Colson calls her sky and everybody says Daisy. And he says, damn it. That's going to take a lot of good <laughs> yeah, right? So, I mean, the humor elements are, are definitely very much there and they didn't feel forced in this episode. That's one of the things that, I've always kind of liked about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that always kind of kept its sense of humor, but the action elements, not just because it's it's superhero action, the right. action elements themselves, I think, were really turned up in this episode, and they, not for lack of a better term, they humanized it with the whole Inhumans problem with these people that this guy, you know, is like, I don't know, you know, what's wrong with me, I just need help, and, and there's this group that looks like it's attacking him, but then you find out in the, later in the episode, maybe not. Exactly, and you know, you have this whole new, we got much is known about the these soldiers, this kind of government agency that we don't know much about. It's led by this, from this woman who's called, well, her name is Rosalind, I believe, correct? Yes. Yeah, and you know, so it's like, yeah, you don't know what's going on with them. And remember, if you've watched the second season, you know that when the whole, where the humans are from, all those, those Terrigen crystals or whatever fell to the ocean, yep. causing the whole fish oil thing to be kind of messed up and that's how people are you know it's, it's triggering the inhumans right now and uh and we see the spreading they have that map of the spread of yep. the infection and you see that it's kind of going exponentially now which kind of oh, yeah. brought that sense of of doom and terror which i think really kicked it up a notch as well and and i like that the twist in the episode and of course if you haven't noticed already as all of our views are these are spoiler filled the big twist in the episode, which I actually didn't see coming, was when Rosalind and Coulson are confronting each other on the train, mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out who's killing the Inhumans, and they're going back and forth like, wait, you're not doing it? Wait, yeah. you're not doing it? And I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, they're not? So who yeah. the hell is? And then, lo and behold, we finally get our first look at Lash, and how impressive is Lash. Lash looks amazing. Not only that, but just, I, I don't know why, it just feels like the effects for when they're showing the all humans' powers, it feels like they look a little bit better this season. Yeah, it's almost like they're trying harder with the effects and stuff. Like you said, it did look a little bit better. Now, if you're not familiar with Lash, remember, he was one of the first in humans. And yeah. basically, he go the way he goes about things is he determines whether or not you're worthy of having your inhuman power. And if he doesn't feel like you're worthy, he kills you. So that's kind of what's going on. So he's killing these inhumans that he obviously feels are not worthy of their powers. And I really, really hope that they dive into that because and stick true to the comics on that because I think that's definitely the way to go. But is Lash working with someone? Is he not? He doesn't have to, but we'll have to see what that's going going to be like down the road. 
Exactly. So, I mean, you know, you, you look at this this episode, you see where the season's going, and, you know, you, you kind of wondered, I was kind of thinking this myself as I was watching this, I said, you know, they're really pushing, this is, now they're really getting into the whole in humans, and it's kind of like, why are they pushing in humans so hard? And I realized, it's because Marvel doesn't have the rights to X-Men. So mm-hmm. they're trying to make the Inhumans, if you can look at everything that's going on with the whole Inhuman invasion kind of thing from last season and everything else and what's going on now, they're trying to set this up in this X-Men-ish world pretty much with these Inhumans. I I, under, I agree with what you're saying. The only problem with that is is that how with the Inhumans movie that's going to be coming up, how hamstrung is this show still going to be because are they going to let them use characters like Black Bolt? And stuff yeah. like that, likely not. So, are they still going to be hamstrung with secondary characters? It looks like that's a possibility. But speaking of, here's something that did upset me though, and it actually has nothing to do with the actual premiere, which I thought was great. Right. You didn't get to see this because I know you watched your stuff on on Hulu. Well, I know I know what you can get to, but I, there's something I, I also had some problem with me as well. But it's it's within the episode though. It's it's okay. Just, you you go first. Yeah, because mine's within the episode. So I just. Can Fitz just get a fucking break? No. Like, no, like seriously? he can't. And he's the nerd. That's what pisses me off. Well, what pisses he's me, the nerd. Well, what pisses me off about how they're treating Fitz in the show is that for like almost nearly both two seasons, he's just gotten the brunt of everything. Yeah, pretty it's much. Like, Every you know, season, he's something horrible's sad, happened to him. And what's sad, too, is that you look around the, the whole other team, right? Nobody else through the first two seasons has really experienced a certain type of severe loss, except well, for well, or other, other than making it easier for you to do a Colson cosplay. Exactly. Well, no, it's his left hand, though, so, I mean, it's... Well, I mean, it's still, you know... You know, yeah. Close enough, kind yeah. of thing. I don't think anybody's going to come up to you and go to a con like, you're not missing the right arm, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah, but we've been to cons before, so, I mean... You never know. Yeah, it could be exactly. A couple of people but like I, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's like, really, can he win? Yeah, at some just, point? Just, one, just one victory. I just do just like one victory. I did like that little bit of edginess though when he was going to get that artifact, and he kind of oh, had yeah. like that badass aura. Oh, like, when, I yeah, used to this. Oh yeah, when he was in Morocco, and he was just like, you know, I want to see this guy. It's just like. Oh, Fitz is a badass. And he punches him. He spits the blood out like a badass. I'm like, yeah, all right. We're hardening up. But then then you get the scene with the end with him. He's staring at the monolith. He's just screaming like, do something. That was great. It's like that. It's like. That was great. It's, it's, it was great, but it was just like, I was just like, God damn it. He just can't win. Like, and and part of me, when you watch that scene, what made that scene powerful was the fact that he's just like, my life's over, kind of like, just take me. I don't care if I die anymore. Just take me, send yeah. me somewhere, do whatever. But let's go to what pissed you off the most there, Mr. Okay, Wendell. and this has nothing to do with the this particular episode, which I thought was great. But you look at the previews for, and they did a preview of, like, what's coming up this season, like all the other shows have been doing. Yeah. And what do I see? I see Grant Ward saying Hydra's in, you know, in, in, ruins we're gonna need to rebuild it from the ground up i'm like no 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 you did such a good job with this first episode you built something with the inhumans you've got a big bad now in lash which is probably the best big bad you've had on the show so far and you're gonna mess it up by going back to this hydra crap stop it 
Just stop. Can we get a Hydra break? I mean, right. seriously, we've talked about needing Loki breaks on the show, even though we love Hiddleston and the way he does uh, the Loki character. But, you know, you need a break from these guys every now and then. You want to make it special when they come back. Can we let Hydra just lay dormant for a year or a season or a season and a half? Bring them back at some point, sure. But do we need to... Because what we're going to do is we're going to get bogged down, and this is when I have a problem with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it starts to get slow. We're going to get bogged down in a story that we don't really want to see that much of, and it's going to make it seem slow and boring when you've got this interesting story over here that they're not going to focus on. And you could also focus on, where the hell is Simmons? Yeah. You know, we, we get that at the end where she's running on a planet, which... I kind of think might be a Cree planet, but I don't know for sure where that right. where it is. Is she in is she in the Inhumans uh, city of Adeline? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing, and the thing is, I haven't seen it because again, I I don't get the whole coming up next week when you watch it on like Hulu and stuff like that, and streaming services. But I mean, I can understand that. It's it's kind of like you know, give you know, can we just take a break from Hydra? I mean, Hydra's had since literally the beginning of Phase right. One. You know, like 2010, 2009-ish or whatever, when Iron, you know, it, it, can we just give it a break? Yeah, it's, one, it's time it's to stop. It's course. It's, it's one of those things where I'm, you know, I'm looking at IMDb right now, and I'm looking at, you know, Brett Dalton, of course, plays Grant Ward. And while everybody else so far has, you know, 66 episodes, just in the same like from 2013 to 2016, mm-hmm. and saying, oh, it's runs, you know, this person has 66 episodes, he's only in 58 of them. Yeah. So... Maybe it's one of those things where it's kind of like you know maybe they can pull a, a, a Bill Paxton thing where he gets off the whole bed thing. He's like, I'm now powerful. Everything else, this cold just blows him away. And he's like, eh, okay, I love this. You know, no, no, you're not. Here's so the maybe, deal. Maybe maybe be that thing where he's like, we're getting you know Hydra back together, and then nope, you're not. Well, here's two things. First of all, I'm not saying Brett Dalton doesn't do a good job in the show. No, he does. It's, it's just it's just. It's just too right. much. Right, it's hydra. just enough. And, and they talked about doing that spinoff show with uh, with with Bobby Morse, that that character, yeah. and Mockingbird and stuff like that. Okay, so if you want to do this yeah. whole rebuild Hydra thing, you want to do that as a spinoff, knock yourself out. Yeah. But for the love of God, can you give Agents of Shield a chance to be what it is and what it needs to be? Can you just let it exist? Without Hydra, because you don't need Hydra. It's like, I understand that, you know, again, and again, like, not every Batman movie needs the Joker. Right. Not every, you know, X-Men movie needs Magneto, necessarily. Right. You don't need certain characters. You can live without certain characters in these shows. So I don't understand why, even though Hydra is a big organization, it's a big part of what Marvel does in general over the years, it doesn't mean this show can't survive Without it, give it a chance. If you're this, if you believe this much in the Inhumans, yeah. and I think that you know, based on what I've seen, people love the Inhumans, so why not go with it? If you believe in it that much, give it a chance to work, and don't bring Hydra into it because you don't need them. Exactly. The thing is, like, like Hydra worked last season because you had the whole Winter Soldier thing happen, where hey, Hydra has been infiltrating Shield for decades. Yeah, and you had to do that. You had to do that, but now it's like. You don't need to. They're expanded. They're, they're expanded. So I think right now, James, let's do this. Let's give our rating, but let's also see what's one thing that you want to see happen going forward in the season and take Hydra out of the equation. Okay. So as far as a rating, and if I'm basing it just on this episode, yeah, I give it a nine. Wow. Okay. I was excited before the episode. I was excited. And I actually was talking to my wife about it. I'm like, huh. 
I'm actually excited to watch S.H.I.E.L.D. I can't remember the last time <laughs> that that happened. Other than the, the ending and the whole Daisy thing at the end of last season, I was excited for that. But for as far as premieres go, I was like, I'm actually excited to watch this. And yeah. what I want to see going forward is I want to see them bring Lincoln back into the fold. Uh-huh. I want to find more Inhumans. I want them to play off of that, like they found that one guy in this first episode. I don't want to happen every episode, but give me episodes where we're finding more in humans. Maybe you're building a team, maybe you're not, and I want more on this twist. What's going on with Lash, and what's the, what's the deal with Rosalind's organization? What's the deal with S.H.I.E.L.D., and are they going to end up working together? I want to see these questions answered. And yeah, the Hydra thing, back burner as far as I'm concerned. So what would you rate it? I would give this about an 8, um, and i give it an 8. Only because there are some parts where I checked out a little bit, but it wasn't like, oh, it's not, you know, I don't, I'm just bored. It's just, I just checked out of it a little bit. Um, but I think that, you know, the thing is, like, this whole scene with, with Fitz and Morocco was fantastic. The whole oh, setting yeah. there, you know, Daisy. What I want to see going forward, and I want to build on what you just said, I'd like to see them get like and find like a new and human to kind of partner up with or you know be part of the team not every week not like flash you know we have a new villain of the week every week on flash no like right. maybe every other week oh like, yeah yeah an, you know have like an inhuman of the week kind of thing yeah um i think more is gonna be cased on like okay and humans are a thing now it's spreading i love to see if this turns out with lash and everything else like what the bigger cause is but i'd love to see a big all-out fight at the end of the season between, like, good Inhumans and maybe some people who are using their powers for evil kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? So, like, so, so you're saying, like, maybe Lash has a group of his own. Yeah. Kind maybe of he's thing. recruiting the ones that are worth... Okay, that's an interesting That's an interesting take. Maybe he's recruiting the ones he feels like are worthy, right. and then while hunting down the ones he thinks aren't worthy, and maybe he's building an or army, maybe, and maybe there's an epic battle coming. That yeah. would be great. Well, maybe the reason why he's killing the Inhumans is because he's saying, hey, join my army. They declined. Yes. And he sees them as some sort of resistance, so he needs to get rid of them and eradicate them from the equation. That would be interesting. That would be really, really awesome to see if they go that route. But, of course, that's our recap and our review of the season premiere of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think that's going to do it for our TV roundup so far. Of course, we still have... Of course, the big two, Arrow and Flash, coming up soon. So. Yep, that'll be next week. We'll review that next week. And then, of course, Supergirl's going to come up a couple weeks after that. So we'll take care of those as well. <laughs> pretty, yeah. much, pretty much all of October is just going to be TV film. We are running the gauntlet, man. We'll have it all for you. And you know what else we have for you? Up next, a bunch of nerd news. It's right here on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is comic book artist Matt Slay, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well said time, boys and girls, and investors alike, I should say, for this first story, because it's time that we go around the interwebs, James, and see what's trending, because it's time for what? Nerd News! And you're wondering why I said the word investor. Well, James, you know that Kickstarter's a thing, right? Yep. You know, it's mostly, oh, actually, it all is public funding towards certain projects, whether movies, or fan films, or video games, or Or whatever. Coins, my somebody just texted me, so yeah, that's my text tone, um, which makes it perfect for this segment because you know it's all about people giving coin to publishers and other things. So let's put it this way: in December of 2013, now bear with me here because this is—I'll tell you why we're talking about something that happened a couple years ago. I'm getting my popcorn and a beverage. 
All right. In December of 2013, gamers paid over $30,000 to fund a Kickstarter for a game called Mansion Lord. Now, a month later, Mansion Lord's creators opened up a PayPal account to accept even more money. And in August of 2014, after announcing that the PayPal funding round was over, they just disappeared off the map. Now, here's the reason why we're talking about it today. For over a year now, Golgum Games, which is the people who had the Kickstarter, have been totally MIA. There's been no trace of them whatsoever. They haven't updated the Kickstarter or the social media pages, and their website, James, has expired. And it's gotten to a point where after a year, people have who, who have given money to this, again, it's over $30,000 for this game, have told Kickstarter, hey, what the fuck? You know, and uh, a backer even said, we have tried contacting Kickstarter, but we were basically told, tough luck, it's for you and the creator to work out, but they haven't given us any way to reach them. So my question to you is your take on this, and also how much will this affect the way people view crowdfunding in general, and also crowdfunded video games? This is why, I'll tell you this right now, this is why... I don't crowdfund anything. This is why I don't give money to certain pro- to projects like this. You know, I understand why people need Kickstarter. And I understand why it exists. So, but at the same time, I've never done that either because of this very reason. It's highway robbery potential every time. And I know not everybody's like that. If you've got a Kickstarter, don't yell at me. I'm just saying there's a potential there because there's assholes everywhere. There's a potential there for something like this to happen. And it's a, be careful what you put your money in. And, And I know you said what you invest. It's not even an investment, really. Kickstarter is basically, hey, give us your money We'll give you something cool depending on how much money you give us, and, and then we'll be able to get our project out. You're, I mean, it would be different if you were putting your money in and you were seeing some sort of a return. Then that would be an investment. This is just – you're gambling, basically. This is uh-huh. gambling, but you may or may not end up with something cool as a result that you're going to end up having to buy anyway when it comes out more than likely. I know that a lot of these fan films, they'll do Kickstarters. Where, you know, you give a certain amount of money and we'll give you the series on Blu-ray or something like that when it's done. And that's fine. So that way, at least you're paying for something or there's other incentives and stuff like that that they have. But for something like this, if it's a game, don't think for a second you're not going to have to buy this game eventually unless you're giving the Kickstarter like $100 or whatever. The the incentives are usually way higher than what the return would be for game Kickstarters from what I've seen in my experience. And here's okay. I'm gonna start off with Kickstarter, the company first. Then I'm gonna go with the whole investor thing and everything else. So Kickstarter, the company. Now, there's no way that Kickstarter can really know the intentions of people coming in to doing their Kickstarters and everything else. Nope. However, I think Kickstarter should make it a thing where because you have to like give them your name and stuff like that when you register your stuff. It, you know, they should have a, a file on you. Where if you do a project and you do something like this, you're banned from ever using Kickstarter. Right, and I could see that. But it's now remember when eBay first came out, the stuff used to happen where somebody would sell something on eBay, you'd oh, send it to the buyer, and then they'd skip out on the bill, kind of thing. I got a story about that kind of thing. Well, it's all and it's also kind of like you know putting money into something and not getting anything really in return or something you would expect. It's kind of like I had a friend of mine who. Wanted an Xbox, right? Went to eBay, got an Xbox, paid 
you know, whatever money for it, a couple hundred, few hundred for it. Got it in the mail. They just sent him the box. Yep. And and and, and here's the thing, though. They sent the box, but he looked back in the description. And it says Xbox box. Yep, and that's on and that's on you, man. Yeah. You got to read this stuff. Just like I'm now, sure in Kickstarter's terms of service. Yeah. There's something about this, and remember, this is all ex- exists in a virtual world. Nobody you can disappear. You could disappear, yeah. though, even on Kickstarter. Yeah, they probably do have a file on people. But it's got, what, an email address, maybe a website, maybe a phone number. You use a, a throwaway cell phone as yep. your number. You get a website address. You don't have to keep that domain. And even when you register for a domain, it's the same process. You could disappear virtually. So the risk here, no matter what the terms of service is, is higher. And people need to realize that this is not a sure thing by any it's, means. Well, and the, and the problem I have with this, too, is outside of people getting you know, screwed out of their money, um, is when you back projects, a lot of the times, if not all the times, they have certain things. Like if you donate $10, you get this. If you donate $100, you get this. If you donate and pay for the entire project, you get this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, so from what I'm saying, people aren't even getting the things that like, oh, I'm supposed to get this. They're not even getting that. And a lot of people from what I've seen have just given up on it. They're like, it's never going to happen. And it's it a takes loss. a while to it's get these while. incentives, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's just, I mean, I mean, if you gave $20, I don't think you'd be as pissed because you're like, right. okay, it's 20 bucks, whatever. But if you're someone who gave triple or digits or more, you're going to be like, well, shit, you know, like yeah. I'm out this much money. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, for example, like I went for a job and I had to pay a certain amount of money to take a test to get a certain job and I didn't get it and I failed the test. And I was out that money and it freaking hurt like hell because it was a good amount that I paid for it. So, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things that it sucks, man. But again, it's, it's like an investor, you know, we, you know, shark tanks, a thing. And I was listening to Mark Cuban the other day and he was talking about like, yeah, I've invested a lot of money in certain companies and they've just either disappeared or they just whatever. And he's like, you know what? I take it as a loss, but he's like, you know, I, I understand he's a billionaire, but still it's like, even as a billionaire, you invest something, you give something a certain amount of money, you're going to be kind of pissed when it goes out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're, you're not going to be happy about it. But, I mean, think about the incentives, for again, for a second. Think about the fact that imagine buying something on Amazon at our Amazon st- store or at Bob's at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach. And you give them your money and they say, okay, in a year we'll send you whatever you got. And you're like, What? So what a year? Are you yeah. kidding me? So especially for like games or fan films and stuff like that, these incentives that you're paying for, you're not going to get some of them right away. You're going to have to wait it out for the long haul. And you might even forget that you were supposed to get the incentive in the first place because it was like a year ago. I'm not saying that people should never fund fan films because there's been some good ones, but I'm just saying, be careful what you do with your money and be careful who you try to give awards to. If you're the Harvey awards too, Nick. Exactly. So Chip Zdarsky, of course, won a Harvey Award this past weekend at Baltimore Comic Con, but he's not celebrating with it, and here's why. He actually posted this explanation on his Tumblr. He said, quote, It's nice having people realize how special I am and how humor I am, and I truly appreciate everyone who voted for me, but the award as it stands doesn't make a lot of sense. 
this is what he wrote. The fact that I was nominated for a humor award for Sex Criminals without the writer of said series, my beloved chum, Matt Fraction, is wrong on every level. I pointed this out to the Harvey Awards and told them I wish to have Matt on the ballot with me or to remove me completely and a decline to do either. So, and he even said, you know, he goes, he goes, oh, he said, well, I'll do it with the award. I'll probably just scratch his name on it and just yep. give it to the Hero Initiative. Yep. I mean, first of all, Good for him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I understand that, you know, like the Eisner Awards will have best colorist, best writer, and yeah. best art, best inker, stuff like that. They break it down to it's so specific yeah. that you can only give it to the inker of a certain book. So I get that. But when you do something like this and you're leaving out a piece, like sometimes those writing teams like uh, Elliot and Donnie for Paybacks. They're a team. They write it together. Yeah. To nominate one of them and not the other, how do you do that? So I, I think that, yeah. hey, you know, stick up for your for your fellow creator and, and let people know that he's just as much a process, part of the process as well, I am. So I say good for you, dude. Well, it's kind of like when you watch the Oscars and you see something that wins Best Picture, you know, Best Film. The Oscars go into the producer. Like, that's who it goes to. Yeah. You know, it. You know, it's just like... It doesn't go to the actors or anything else. They can say, well, I was on a, on a, and that's what it is with this. And that's how I view it as this. It's like you're giving it to the one person, but you're not giving it to the whole, you know what I'm saying? The whole crew that, that worked on this, you know, or, and, you know, and I think in case, I really stand with him on this. I'm like, yeah, dude. It's like, especially when the guy said, Hey, put him on the ballot or put him on this. And they know, didn't, him, and they wouldn't do they it. They didn't do it. It's like, how hard is it to do, to, to do that? You know, it's like, Jesus, you know, I mean, even as a write-in, you don't have, like, a write-in thing. Like, hey, we can write him in as this, you know, or whatever. It's like, come on, man. Like, you know, it's just, it's not fair at it just, anything. It, it doesn't make any sense to not include the other huge part of this book. Oh, I, yeah. I just don't it's understand. Like, I don't understand why you would refuse that. It doesn't even make any sense to say no. It's like I don't if, understand what they were thinking. It's like if we were at, what, like, the streaming awards or the podcasting awards, whatever they're called, and we were nominated, like Down Nerdy was nominated or whatever, and you won for like best host. You know what I'm saying? Or, or like, yeah, I didn't win like, anything. Or like, or like Down Nerdy won, but it was like your award kind of thing. You know, it's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense when you're a team <laughs> to not know? give it to the team. Now, if it was best humor artist or something like that, yeah, that's one thing. But when it's for for humor and you give it to the artist and not the writer or the writer and not the artist because the, the art's just as much of a part oh, of yeah. it as the writing and vice versa. And like you said, you've reviewed books where there's no words in them. It's yes. all art, but there's still a writer on the book. Okay. <laughs> they didn't write a single word, but they, you know, they wrote this storyline that went into the art, just like there's a, the Batgirl Endgame tie-in that I did. Again, not one word of dialogue, but there was a writer for the book, and somebody has to write the story. It's not just some guy sitting down there with an ink pen going, you know what, this is what's going to happen next kind of thing. It's a collaborative process. So yeah. realize that when you're giving out these awards. And maybe, yeah, think about the categories before you create them and be open to change. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Speaking of change, James, somebody is actually looking for some change when it comes to, well, signing things and signing books. And by change, I mean looking for actual money, and that's Neil Adams. Yeah, we. I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't have the actual quote. 
in front of me, but there was kind of a stir that was caused on Twitter earlier this week where Neil, Neil Adams said that creators like Scott Snyder should start charging for autographs to sign books at cons. And this created a storm of a fury on Twitter from other creators chiming in. And a lot of them saying, we're not going to sign. As a matter of fact, Scott Snyder was, was picked up by name. So he kind of felt compelled to answer saying, Hey, look, I'm not charging for books to sign books. You want to stand in line, you know, that's enough for me. You want to wait all that, all that much time. You want to travel to a con to get me to sign a book. That's enough for me. I don't feel like I need to charge you. And a lot of creators felt the same way, but Nick, this is, this really caused a firestorm. So how do you feel about it? Do you think certain creators should be charging to sign books at cons? I'm not going to tell people what they can and can't do when it comes to stuff like this. Um, I, my view is this. I don't think that me personally, I don't think they should be charging. If they want to, that's that's one thing. But there's going to be a negative effect to that, I think. Because, you know, we're going to talk to Scotty Young about this. We're going to ask him about this in our interview with him coming up soon. And the way I look at it is this. If you're, you know, Greg Capullo or just a, you know an overall, like if you're a legend, like if you're a legit legend of the game, yeah, I can see, understand you're charging because you're, you know, this guy like Stanley. I can understand because Stanley doesn't do the books anymore. Stanley, right. you know, it, it's Stanley, and he created he so many yeah. characters. Oh, you know? exactly. I can understand that. But if you're like, you know, like some other people that we know or whatever, like that, and they don't, you know, they don't charge for for signing stuff. It's more, you know, Colin Bond said it best. He said, you know, I go to the cons. To just meet fans, and that's all it's about. And, and he said he loses money usually, oh, yeah. usually going to cons. Oh yeah, because so that's part of it. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, again, if you want, if, if a person wants to do it, that's fine. But then again, as a fan, look from the fans' perspective. Now, if you're like me, like we met Fabian Niciesa at Taiwan Con over the summer, and Meeting him is like was like to me like meeting God. Right. Like he created my all time favorite comic character in Deadpool or co created. When he signed my print that I gave him for Deadpool, he signed it happily and just signed it. And we talked yep. for a little bit and it was it. So if my thing is if if Fab, if a guy like Fabian Niciesa is not charging to sign his stuff, if you're below his level, like you're not as known. Or you're, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't charge, man. You can't justify no. it. It's, and that's the thing. You have to look around you. If you're a creator, I think you have to look around you too and say, okay, this guy's not charging. He's on this level. This guy's not charging. He's on this level. This woman's not charging. She's on this level, whatever. Right. You know, if you're like a Gail Simone or whomever else and they're not charging, it's kind of hard to justify charging. And also, you don't want to be that guy that kind of is part of the chain reaction of people, you know, starting to sell right. and, and charge for, for signatures. Well, here's my take on it. First of all, I will echo what you said, saying I'm not here to tell anybody what they should do with their own business. If you want to charge, that is your personal preference. I don't know your life. Yeah, exactly. So if, if you want to charge, that is totally your, your business. But, but there's a fan aspect to it, too. And here is the fan aspect. I'm not necessarily going to pay to get a book signed, okay? No. I, and I'm an autograph guy. I'm a collector. I've, I, I, I enjoy collecting. I've been to your house. You do enjoy collecting. But here's the thing with the fans. 
if this starts to become more and more of a thing, fans are always going to have the option to not go to your table. Uh-huh. And are they going to go to a table where somebody's signing for free? Or are they going to go to a table of somebody who's charging? Now, I know that there are certain people that feel like they're on a level of whether I charge or not, you're going to want to come to my table. And and maybe that's the case. And I get that. And again, that, that is a choice to be made by the individual. But the fans will speak out if this starts becoming a norm. And either they will accept it and they will gladly pay their 5 or 20 or whatever dollar it is to get that book signed. Or... They're going to move on, and you're not going to make any money at that con. Now, there's another aspect to this that I think people who have never been to cons might not understand. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'm going to use Ron Mars as an example here. We met him at Tidewater Con. Yep. If you went to Ron Mars's table, what he had was he had comics that he's written on the table. Mm-hmm. You could buy them directly from him, and he would sign them for you and everything like that. So, so if you don't have the book... You can give the money directly. Nancy Collins did the same thing with Vampirella. You give her the money, you can buy it from her directly, and she'll sign it and you know the chat with you and stuff like that. To me, that's different because you're you're making a transaction. Yeah. You're buying the book from them, so that's a way for them to make some money. And I'm sure the publishers float them some copies to to do to do that with the cons, or at least give it to them at a deep discount. You know, they sell them at cover price and mm-hmm. and sign them and stuff like that. So that's a way to do it too. And I understand for, for artists, it's different. If you're doing sketches like real time sketches, you got to charge, man. Yeah. Y- you can't, you can't not charge for that. Cause that oh, just yeah. takes a, a tremendous amount of time. But if I come up to you and you're one of my favorite artists and I have one of your books in my hand that I want to get signed, am I going to be thrilled if you say that'll be $5 please or $20 please? Yeah. I'm going to pause. Even though $5 seems like a ridiculous amount to pause on. I'm going to pause and be like, Five dollars. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. You know, because there's prints you can get for five bucks. Well, this thing is like, sign- it's like it's a, it's, and you got to think of this too. Is a signature from someone worth an entire comic? Right. Exactly. And and comics aren't cheap, man. No, some of not. them are not cheap. They're not. I mean, they were like I saw. I can't think of the the annual what it was. But it was like a six dollar book, dude. Yeah, there was a. It just came out, I think, this week. It was like yeah, there six, was another one that it was, was six like bucks. eight dollars. It was ridiculous. I mean, it's different if, if if it's a trade because that's like five issues, but that's yeah. that's hefty, man. That's well, I, mean, I even thought the comic that I reviewed, uh, Captain America White, was a little hefty. The five, the four ninety nine <laughs> price tag there was yeah. a little hefty on that. I'm like, really? I mean, I know it's a little bit larger of an issue, but four ninety nine, jeez. Exactly, but I mean, it's the thing though. It's just like. Yeah, with sketches, you do have to charge. You know, the thing is, like, you know, we have, you know, our friends, Drew Moss, Matt Slay, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, Riley, Riley Brown, you know, it, it's, we're friends with them and they charge for their stuff, but it's, you can see why, because you're getting yeah. great shit, first of all. And it's all, customized, too. It's, it's you exactly. tell them you tell them what you want, like, what? you've, you've gotten pieces from people, yep. you say, okay, this is what I want, and they deliver, and you <laughs> well, can't just buy that. Well, yeah, like, for example, like Drew, when Drew Moss was on the show, and he was talking, we were talking about, you know, the weirdest thing he had to do at a con, he said, I had to draw Venom dribbling a basket. Yeah, yeah, where else are you going to get that? You know, and, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to have somebody to do work like that, yeah. You expect them to do it because it's going to be like, you know, you're pay- you know, they're doing this for you. It's like, okay, I'm going to draw you something and we'll put time and effort into this. It's and similar it's- to buying a book exactly. from somebody that wrote it. And it's going to last a long time, you know, because you're going to frame it, you're going to hand your wallet, it's going to last you forever. You know what I'm saying? You, you 
you know, it, it, this but is you're paying for a service too. It's oh, the difference exactly. between paying for a signature and paying for service. So anybody that says, well, artists charge, why shouldn't the writers charge? Or why shouldn't people charge to sign for books? Because you're getting a service when you're getting a sketch done. Or if, exactly. you're, buy, if you're buying a print, that's a transaction. If you're buying a book from a writer or an artist that's selling books at their table, that's a transaction. Exactly. It's also, a signature uh, is not necessarily a transaction. Exactly. And to take it local for a little bit, our friend Mike Wedmer, who does airbrush on T-shirts and all the superheroes stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's you know, it's a transaction. You know, it's it's yeah, exactly. you're, paying, you're paying him for a work of art. You know what I'm saying? It'd like, be like it'd be like if you went up to Jackson Pollock and said, "Could you just throw some paint on this piece of paper for me?" <laughs> That'd be great. I mean, you that's his art, whether you, whether you agree with it or not. That's how someone does their art. So you're gonna get charged for that transaction. Exactly. Now, if somebody was a professional signature person, maybe they would charge for their signature. Ah, this is what I do for a living. I do signatures. So maybe th- like, in that case, I, but that doesn't make any sense. I realize that, but it's the, it. That's the comparison. I mean, Grant, like we're a big we're a big podcast too, a lot in a lot of places. But I, I still can't figure even us. Even if we get to like a very huge echelon level, I can't even picture us no. charging for autographs let alone charging for for shows. Like, I can't figure that out. You know, it's like, can you imagine just... Like, we sign autographs at the con. We do sign a lot of them at the con because people do come up to our booth a lot. Um, you know, and I'm not gloating, but it's just one of those things where it's like, we sign them and we don't... You know, and of course we charge for free because we're not, you know, on that level, nor do we think... We think it's ridiculous people who charge us for that kind of stuff, but... You know, we it's a sign of us thanking you for stopping by our booth and wanting to be on the show and asking yeah. us what's about and like joining on Facebook and following us on Twitter and everything else. So it's our thank you to you kind yeah. of thing. It's that's a sign of appreciation. Sign. I think that's what a signet and autograph is. It's a it's a show of appreciation yep. for someone enjoying your work. And I and think, think that goes for too. everybody. And think about this too, really quick. I want to say this: so you're a writer, you get a little bit of a percentage from comic sales, I would think, or at least part of your deal, you got paid to be the book. So why would you want money for a signature on top of that? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't care how big a book. And I know that pe- first thing people are going to say is, well, the actresses and actors and stuff like that, they charge at cons. Okay. Maybe that's not right either, but yeah. I, I, I hesitate to say that it's different. I really, well, again, in, in cer- I'm not going to lie though. And certain actors, with certain actors, okay, yeah, that's that's it depends because yeah. you, know, you don't know what they're doing. You know, like they had a role from like a, a '90s show or something like that, and maybe they've done some work, but it's not like to the level of what they used to be on. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you you can understand that why they would charge. However, I would they might need to rethink how much they charge. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, we've we've been at cons before where some pe- people who think they're bigger than life ends up charging a lot more for yeah, an autograph yeah. or a photo and ends up their booth isn't really all that busy. That's well, I mean, the, I guess the, the bigger discussion here is where's the line? Yeah. You know, where, where is the it's okay to charge the sign and it's, it's not okay to charge the sign? So I, I think, think that's it, the big question. I think it deals more with, you know, the line I think deals more with where are you? And it's, again, it's all the writer and creator and everything else. It's where do you, where, what is your worth? And you got to think of like, what is your worth? You also have to look at what have you done? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
you know, you have, you have to kind of, and I know I'm like some people might look at their work and think it's value it more than others will really take it. Uh, but you, you have to think of like, okay, where am I on this list? Am I getting nominated for these awards? Am I getting on this level? Am I doing these types of characters? What characters am I doing? Who am I working? You know, what am I doing? It has a lot of variables have to come into play to find that fine line. Um, but in the end, I think it's just it's on that it's on the, the the writer, it's on the creator if they want to charge or not. And it's your choice as to whether or not you want to price yourself out. And exactly. that goes for anybody. Exactly. It goes for actors, actresses, writers, artists, whatever. It's your choice whether or not you want to price yourself out. So if you think your signature is worth twenty five bucks, and and people at cons and stuff like that think it's worth ten. They're going to walk by your table, and I think that's the point right here. Does it, whatever level you think you're on, as a creator, if you feel like you want to start charging, it's your prerogative as to whether or not you want to price yourself out. Because people might walk right by your table if they see you're charging, and they might not buy a book from you or anything. Ne- never mind, get a book signed from you. Exactly. That's going to do it for this week in Nerd News. But come up next, we have an amazing interview coming up. Scotty Young's going to be our guest this week. We're going to be talking about how much... We really hate Fairyland. It's all coming up next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book artist Annie Wu, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, sometimes we all dream of magical lands of fairies and stars that fall from the sky, but in this case, in a little bit of a different way, because we're chatting with Scotty Young from the new image series that's going to be coming out called I Hate Fairyland. Scotty, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. How about you? Oh, we're doing fantastic, man. Yeah, and James, I think there's a lot of big of a, a turn from loving fairies and everything else with this with this series. And it's a, it's a really fantastic series as well, Scotty. So fantastic job, man. Oh, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. No so, problem. So let's just dive right into it. How did you come up with this idea for I Hate Fairyland? It's so unique. Yeah, you know, um, as I was working, for, for those who don't know, I, I uh, along with Eric Chenauer, adapted um, about six, of uh, L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz novels into comic book form. And, um, you know, that took us about five or six years to do. And over the course of working on those books, you know, I would just start to ask the question, like, I wonder if Dorothy ever gets annoyed with any of the, you know, the, the characters here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> she's in this world of such weird beings and... They're always at odds with each other over strange things, and and they've you know they always have such strange goals, and and you know as an adult, they they can be you know childish things to be annoying sometimes, even though as a kid they could be great. So it kind of started to occur to me around then, but then you know I, my son was born, my first son was born, and around you know the time that he's two. You know, you start reading to him every night, and you know you're reading a lot of Dr. Seuss books, and you know just a lot of watching a lot of you know really you know like Dora and all these shows. Right there with you, man. And, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. So you're yeah. watching all these shows, and they're they're cute the first time around, and you know I love Dr. Seuss. I mean, it's just one of my favorite things ever. But you know, his books are amazing. But when you when you read them the first couple times. It's just like you remember, like, oh man, I, these books are so clever and cute, uh-huh. and and, uh, and when you've read them fifty-five times, you're like, oh my god! I would <laughs> <laughs> um, and the same thing when you're watching these shows, you know, I think Yo Gabba Gabba is such a great creative, you know, musical imagination, uh, imaginative show. But you know, when you've watched the same episode, you know, 
45 times. You just yeah. you start to go, you start to lose your mind. And, and at first, when you first have your kid, you're, you're, you're re you're, you're viewing all this entertainment through kids eyes again. So it's very fresh and cute and, and wonderful. But sooner or later, the adult you takes back over and, and it starts to become, you know, if you hear that, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, another time you really are going to lose your mind. And so, yeah. the, you know, the combination of the things I was working on during the day and, and being a father and all these entertainment things and seeing a kid's world through an adult's eyes, it just started to kind of give me the idea of, of what would it be like if we explored, you know, uh, a land like Wonderland or Oz or any of these, you know, the labyrinth or the dark crystal world or never ending story, you know, in Fantasia, any kind of the lands of imagination we've all grown up with Hogwarts, all that stuff or whatever that we've all kind of been entertained by over the years. What would it be like if you were stuck there? You know, cause usually these people go and they have a quick adventure and they make it back home in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's just one of those adventures they have through childhood, but, so I thought let's let's uh, let's explore the idea of being stuck there for thirty years and and uh, see what it'd be like. What what would an adult be like when they just had enough of it? Especially an adult who hasn't physically grown up past the age of six mm-hmm. or seven. You know, so inside she's she's almost forty, but on the outside she still looks you know six, seven, eight years old. Oh yeah, and that's one thing that really really works well with too, Scotty, is the fact that she is she has the exterior of a little girl, but she's really forty, and that I think builds up one of the best things about this this book and this series is that it's just a shock of certain interactions she has Gertrude between other characters so what's your process for making interactions for example like Gertrude and the narrator in this first issue fit very well and not come off as sort of abrupt or out of nowhere you know I, just, I don't know it's really just like uh, it's just me coming up with the zaniest ways for her to deal with her surroundings again, like, mm-hmm, you know, yep. it, it really, it really kind of stems from that. Like, you know, if, if I was, if me as 37, you know, I'm 37 years old, if you put me in front of the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland and I said, you know, who are you? And he replied, well, who are you? You know, and then he started talking to me in riddles. I'd be like, well, you're going to answer me or I'm going to fuck you up. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and so that's really like the, the, the ways that I thought about it. And I thought, you know, I really wanted to play with the tropes that we're all used to from fairy tales. Oh, you know, yeah. Once upon, a, once upon a time. And, you know, like, you know, if you watch Pinocchio, it starts off with Jimmy Cricket by a book and he's narrating, you know, he's going to tell you the story and, mm. You know, so I really want to take all those traditions and then play with them and then have, you know, like what, what, what happens when you hear that, like, hey, don't you understand, narrator? Like, I'm right here. Like, you're talking about me. Again, I'm, a, I'm an adult now. Yeah. So these things are, are occurring to me. Like, hey, a narrator, you're, you're talking about me. I'm right here. You yeah. just shut your mouth or this isn't going to go well for you, you know? Yeah, well, the, the, tro- the tropes you definitely brought out pretty well. I mean, we had the giant slugs with riddles, and you get the wise old moon that was up there. So what other crazy characters can we expect from the series in Gertrude's travels as we go forward? Well, I mean, obviously we have, you know, in the first issue, we have Queen Claudia, who, you know, is the queen of all fairyland, and she's kind of, you know... She encompasses all the, you know, the good witches and the good queens and also, you know, a little bit of the evil queens, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. she's kind of going to be the totem for all sides because 
she's the good queen that met Gert, Gert when she got there. But over the years, she's also become quite frustrated with this troublemaker in her world. And, and, you know, there's, she, she's also, you know, basically everybody else is also stuck, you know, Larry, poor Larry, he's stuck, you know, and he's, I think Larry's kind of that in that great trope tradition of the Jiminy Crickets or, you know, Hoggle from the Labyrinth. I love Larry. Yeah, thank you. You know, or, or Falcor from the Neverending Story. Yep. Like there's always, there's always a guide to be had in these stories. And, and, uh, and uh, Gert needed a guide too. And, you know, Larry is just happens to also be stuck. So he's, you know, if you'll notice like his, his, uh, his expression rarely changes. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's just ready for it all to be over as well. And, but he can't because he needs, you know, Gert has to move on before he can move on. So, um, you know, coming up, you'll see, you know, we're going to play with uh, your traditional kind of witches with the, ca- you know, a witch with the cauldron. We've got a, I've got a witch named Horabella in the, uh, in the next issue. We've got the classic fantasy, you know, myth uh, totems like the talking, the great talking tree, who uh, in my book is named the, the Great Ancient Bark, but you know B A R B A R Q U E, so it's nice and pretentious. And, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, you know, there's that. There's you're going to see some fawns, and the fawns, you know, I, you know, you see a preview already on the cover of issue two. The fawns have got a little uh, of the zombie play going on, which <laughs> so the fawns have met a interesting fate that that Garrett might have to deal with and. You know, so I'm definitely going to dive, like, I want to dive into a lot of traditional stuff that we're used to in fairy tales, but not ever make it feel like we're, like, I'm doing, I want to do satire and not parody. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, if that makes sense. I don't want to be Shrek, you know, like, Shrek takes everything, like, I don't want to, like, you're not going to see my version of Snow White, and you're not going to see my version of uh, you know Rapunzel or my version of Pinocchio, none of that. I'm not going to do analogs of, of that or 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 t- do my play on that and say, oh, here's Pinocchio, just my version. Uh, I, I just want to take the traditions of these kind of things and and then see if I can't come up with some original stuff within it. So um, I'm gonna. I, it's, it's that's probably the most challenging uh, aspect of of the book is walking that line of. Uh, Playing in the worlds and characters that, you know, the types of character types that you're familiar with, but also making them feel new and fresh and fun for everybody. So you like taking those, those genres and kind of putting your own spin on. What are some, like, you know, after, you know, I Hate Fairyland, what are some other genres you kind of want to put on and turn on their head that you're kind of thinking about and it's brewing right now? Like projects, to, like new, new books after this? Yeah, like what, like what, what, uh, like certain other genres you say? You know, what? I like to tackle like medieval times or something like that, and kind of turn that up on its head, or other things. What other, are there other genres like you know, like with fairy tales or anything else that you just want to like spin on their head and just put your own Scotty Young twist on? Yeah, I mean, I would love. I think I'm definitely working on trying to figure out a way to approach something a little creepier. You know, a little. I, I think everybody, you know, over the last. Almost, almost four years now. I've been doing the little Marvel covers, um, you know, alongside of writing and drawing Rocket Raccoon or you know the the Oz books, and so I think uh, people start to get you know a certain, especially the covers, right? Like a lot of people think like uh, you know, oh, he just does baby covers, right? And mm-hmm. so anytime I say something, people are like, oh, do a baby version, you know? So that's gonna um, kill you, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, 
I have so much fun with those, but it would be it would be really cool to, uh, you know, surprise people and say, you know, here's a little bit of a dark darker tale, or here's a little bit of a creepy tale. But, you know, one of my favorite novelists is, uh, you know, I love Neil Gaiman. I love um, I love Roald Dahl, and you know, so you, you, a lot of that kind of twisted, creepy, but still kind of childlike, which also makes it creepier. You know, yeah, like a lot of that yeah. Um, so you you know, those are a couple of projects that I have um, um, ready, and then I also at some point want to try to tackle a teen comedy, like you know, like is super bad, uh, you know, can't hardly wait. Like something very, uh, I don't know, you know, something like the 80s movies that we grew up with. That'd right? be like, cool. Like a John Hughes movie in a way. Like I really want to see if I can't, like that's another genre. I'm like, that would be really interesting. It's Go like Breakfast Club I, or something, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Something that's completely different than everything I've done in comic books. Um, it's something that definitely I don't know if people would expect because they're so used to, me doing, you know, either superhero stuff or fantasy stuff or any of that stuff. And, you know, I was like, oh, what would it be like to just do a, you know, and even if I did it, it'd be cool to take a breakfast club and add a, you know, 30% something funky. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm, very, I'm, I'm very big on 70-30 rule, right? Like 70% of this, 30% of that and mix it all together, whether it's, you know, composition for a cover or it's, you know, the concept for a story. It's like, oh, what if I took, uh, what if I took 70% of this kind of uh, genre and mashed it together with 30% of this genre? You know, like, part of me wants to do, like, a post-apocalyptic, you know, super bad. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it'd just kind of be like, you know, just because the world ended doesn't mean people can't be buddies anymore, you know? Like, they could still be buddies and clown around, and, like, maybe they, you know, one of them saw a girl that they wanted to ask out, but you know, they haven't seen that, that they haven't seen her in three months. And now they're going to go on a trek to go find her. Something. You know, something silly like that. Oh, so I think there's, there's definitely a lot of stuff. Um, you know, now that I'm starting to play in the creator own stuff, you know, the creator own uh, zone, that I'm, I'm really itching to, to get my hands on. Well, we're looking forward to anything that you've got coming up in that genre. As a matter of fact, we're talking to Scotty Young, who's the image. This is his first creator-owned project with the Image Action. It's called I Hate Fairyland. It's going to be coming out on October the 14th. So, Scotty, the fan response has been unbelievable for this book already, especially to the main character, Gertrude, which is pretty amazing. How does it feel to get this kind of a positive response for a project that's not even out yet? Oh, it's so flattering and humbling and amazing. Um... It, you know, I was really, when I decided that it was time to, you know, finally make the plunge into creator own, which I've wanted to do for years and years. And if you read the, the, the piece in the back, I, I do a kind of an essay in the back, you know, I talk about that, like the road to me doing this book, you know, when it came time to decide what book to do, you know, I, I think I had other ideas that were probably, you know, what one would consider more commercial you know, or mm. things that things that fit into the to the comic book mainstream a little bit more, maybe even fit into what people think image is, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, this idea had been sitting with me for so long and I thought, Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. You know, like let's <laughs> yeah, just go for the, yeah. like the, the the wackiest idea in my backpack and uh, and see what happens. And and, and I heard I wanna say it was Joe Casey and if I if I'm giving this credit to this quote uh, to him unfairly. I, I apologize to who did say it, but um, 
in an interview or a podcast once, I heard, I think Joe Casey say something to the effect that, you know, if you're going to do creator-owned stuff, make sure you do something that the other publishers won't do, you know, mm-hmm. that can't be done at the other publishers. And when I really looked at the list of, I, you, know, you know, sentences for my ideas, you know, I, gotta, I keep a note a notepad in my, um, on my phone. That's just like, every time I have a li- an idea, I jot it down. And when I started looking at those lists, you know, I have a lot that a lot of the publishers wouldn't do, but I thought this is it, right? Like a book that probably looks like a kid's book on the surface, uh, but is hyper violent. And, you know, like it's just a mashup of, a, it's like taking tank girl and Lobo and Deadpool and shoving it, inside, you know, out, down Alice in Wonderland's throat. <laughs> yep. You know, it's like, you know, who else would do that? You know, I couldn't, you know, that doesn't fit the Marvel publishing plan and that doesn't fit the DC publishing plan. So I figured that's, this is the time that this would be the idea and let's see if it, if it flies. Oh, exactly. Um, yeah. So that was, that was really kind of my thought process uh, behind, uh, you know, jumping on that idea. Well, so speaking of, you know, James says, you know, the whole fan response and everything else. Well, I was perusing around your Twitter earlier, and I saw that fans were actually getting Fairyland tattoos. I hate Fairyland tattoos. So (laughs) if you had to get a tattoo of a comic character, who would it be and where would you get it? Oh, well, well, one, I have uh, an appointment in uh, January. Me and my wife and my family are going to go drive over to Kansas City. Uh, mm-hmm. because Dennis Hopeless, who is the writer on, uh, some excellent books and, and, uh, you know, written some great stuff at Marvel and at Dark Horse. And, uh, for those who don't know, his wife is a fantastic tattoo artist. So, uh, we're going to go over and hang out with them and their family and their new twin boys. And, uh, I'm going to get Alfred E. Newman tattooed. Nice. Because, yeah. Uh, because Mad Magazine was probably what started it all for me. Oh yeah, uh, so that's yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, because I was going to say the Alfred Newman makes sense because I was reading that that story you said you have at the end of the comic and and how big of an influence Mad was when you were living in a town where you didn't have a comic shop, so you had a, you had a store that had like magazines and you picked up Mad and it was just such a huge experience because you you say in the in this thing like you know you always wanted to look and and pick up a new issue to see what movie they were making fun of that week and everything else. So I mean, it's a perfect choice for you. Yep. Yep. So, uh, Alfred E. Newman is my, is, uh, already on, on dot or, uh, on deck to, to get inked up on me. And then I think I would probably go with, I want maybe like the max, like Sam Keith, like a really sweet Sam Keith piece, you know, like, uh, yeah. I think, I think the max with some, you know, some is around, it would be really cool. And so, yeah, th- those would probably be my first two up if I had to go get. And then maybe Tank Girl, too. I think Jamie Hewitt does some pretty amazing Tank Girl pieces. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that, that sounds like a couple of pretty good choices. We're talking yeah, to Scotty Young. We're talking to Scotty Young from I Hate Fairylands coming out from Image on October the 14th. And, Scotty, before we let you go, I want to ask you something about kind of a controversy that was going on Twitter Twitter earlier this week, comments that Neil Adams made about saying creators like Scott Snyder should be charging to sign books at cons and appearances. So we just wanted to find out what is your take on that because I know a lot of creators are starting to chime in. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of it's such an interesting discussion that I've seen, and it seems... I'd like to hear more of what actual fans think uh, because I see a lot of pros having really big ideas and some judgy ideas towards each other. 
Um, and I always think it's weird. I've never wanted to make a judgment call on what another pro does or chooses to do with his business. Cause I mean, that's mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's really what each of us do, right? We each have a mini business. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on what our situation is, um, it's hard to say, right? Like some people, uh, get flown out to the conventions and get put up. And, and, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that, that most of the time when I go to a convention, I, you know, it's, it's usually on the convention's dime and I don't have to pay for travel or hotel or my food while I'm there. So I'm usually, uh, I, I will say 98% of the time, uh, I do not charge for signings. And if at all possible, I'd like it to be a hundred percent of the time. Um, the only time that I will sign or I do sign, I choose charge for autographs. And this is not for, uh, I don't want anybody to take this badly because retailers are also fans, but the only time I will, I never charge fans. Like, you know, you come to a convention, you, you've driven there, you've paid your ticket to get in, you're paying for the hotel. That's an expensive weekend. I am not going to make you pony up money for me to sign a book. That's not, that's not going to happen. But in my case, and I can't speak to anybody else and I won't make a judgment call on anybody else, but I, because of the nature of what I do with these covers, you know, I've done probably close to 150 little Marvel covers at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, or maybe 130, 100, somewhere in that zone. So I've done a lot of these covers, and a lot of them get bought in massive amounts by um, online sellers, uh, whether it be retailers or people who just uh, have eBay shops or whatever. And uh, some of them will literally roll up a cart um, to my table and and have anywhere from two to four hundred books. Wow. <laughs> to sign. Now they don't expect me to do it. You know, I can easily say no. I'm too busy, and they're very right. kind. And it's never a bad situation. But in those cases, because this is obviously a business transaction, this person. This is not a this is not a, a fan situation. They're not going to take those two hundred books and go home and put it in a closet. Right. They're going to go yeah. and they're going to they're going to charge fifty. You know, they're going to go and make fifty dollars off the book. Um, so what I do because that is time, and I you know I'm at the convention. There is time limits on what I can do while I'm there. You know, it's just a short amount of time, and I try to never uh, take time away from the people who stand in line on the fan side. So in those cases, I do charge. I don't charge a crazy amount, you know, anywhere from depending on how many you have, two to five dollars a book, or something like that. Again, but we're talking about people who come up with four hundred. Oh books. yeah, I think well, that's, that's, fair. Fair. That's, that's fair. fair. That's totally yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean that's a couple. That's a couple long boxes, you know. But I mean, I uh, you know I charge. I have a flat rate for my sketches when I do sketches and you know, I, I, I charge a hundred dollars for a sketch. A lot of people come over, they get it PG seed. It's still a hundred bucks. They go, they can flip that thing for $500 for a thousand dollars or whatever. Mm. I don't care. Once they pay, I said it's a hundred. If you can get more out of that, great. That's it's your world. That's cool. Right? Like, uh, oh, so yeah. for me, yeah, I like, I, I do, I do put a bucket out at the table. That's a hero initiative bucket. Um, it's not mandatory. I don't make anybody donate to it. If people want to donate, uh, to the hero initiative, 100% of that, it's not a tip bucket for me. And I donate some of it. Anything that goes in that bucket goes directly to the hero initiative. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, get a lot of people that are super kind. And, you know, most of the time at a convention, 
I can bring in anywhere from five to you know fifteen hundred dollars for the hero. Oh, excellent! That's awesome. Excellent! Such an so, awesome. Yeah, awesome so yeah, so I'm not charging. You know, again, I never, I don't charge fans. Um, I do sometimes, depending on the lines, I will limit a book amount or make somebody get. You know, if they have a stack of books, you know, if they have again. I've done over a hundred covers and people collect them all. And so a lot of people come with all of them. You know? so, oh yeah. Uh, yep. You know, you know, so what I will do is I will kind of, you know, every now and then say, Hey, you know, I'll sign 10. If you want to hop back in the line and just kind of keep circling around that way, we make sure that everybody else gets their turn as well. That's oh, yeah. about as kind of like rules I get, but, but you know what, again, I really don't, I really try not to judge other people's situations. You know, if, if uh, you know they're they're they don't make is they don't their page rates whatever or they didn't get paid to come to the con or uh, you know whatever somebody's scenario is I can't judge it so if if somebody charges and that's what they feel they that their time is worth because some I've had the reverse on me before right where I charge a certain amount for a sketch or I sell you know the the, the, the uh, the little Marvel covers, they're they're in demand right now, so the originals sell for a very high amount, yep. you know. And I have people, you know, say stuff and talk a little smack, and I'm like, I, hey, the market is what the market is, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. like things yeah. happen. You you try to work with it. It's not always going to be like this. Everything changes. It's cyclical. So, you know, whatever somebody's scenario is. If, you know, and, and again, I, if the fans are cool with it and that's what they want, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of sides to the argument. I've seen people bring up, you know, the actors and, you know, the actors, everybody, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people stand in line for the actors mm-hmm. and they pay upwards towards 50, 60, you know, sometimes a hundred bucks for a signature on an eight by 10 photo, you know? Um, so I don't know, you know, a five dollars for a signed comic that you're gonna go CGC and sell. I don't know. Is that, you know, again, that's it's. I try not to get in it too much exactly. because <laughs> yeah. you know these kind of arguments they seem to never end and they seem to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like, you know, I, I guess I laugh sometimes because you see bleeding cool kind of you know or or any web, you know site they'll kind of pose these questions and then you'll see people arguing for four days and I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's how it works. Yep. I'm like, man, they just they just got you guys good, man. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah, pretty definitely. much. Yep. Well, again, we want to thank Scotty, Scotty, for coming on and talking to us. So you can pick up I Hate Fairyland on October 14th. Also, Scotty, you have some signings coming up. You're going to be at Heroes Aren't Hard to Find in Charlotte, North Carolina on October 17th. You're also going to be at Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, Maryland from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on the 24th of October for the I Hate Fairyland launch party. So congratulations on that, man, and we're really, really happy for you. And Thank you for coming on, dude. Uh, well, you guys, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, being excited about the book and, and sharing the love and passion for comics. It's really great. I really appreciate it. Very quickly, where can people hit you up on social media? Uh, it's just Scotty Young Everything. S K O T T I E Y O U N G. That's Twitter. Scotty Young Instagram. Uh, ScottyYoung.com. Um, I think I have an official Scotty Young Facebook page, fan page, mm-hmm. or something on Facebook. My personal page I just keep for friends and family, but I have an official fan page uh, where you can like and keep up to date. So, uh, yeah, pretty much any social media thing that's out there, it's just uh, Scotty Young. Awesome. So, again, you can pick up I Hate Fairyland on October 14th at your local comic shop and digitally as well. And you can find out more information at ScottyYoung.com. Scotty Young, thank you for coming on and talking to us this week, man. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it.
So I guess, Nick, this serves as a reminder is if you wish to be in a faraway land and you fall through the floor in your house, it's not necessarily going to work out the way you want it to. Well, I mean, you know, you fall through the floor in your house. Next thing you know, you land on your mother and she breaks her back. And then, the you know, the, the pots just go everywhere and your sauce all over the floor. And it's just a fucking total mess. And, and then the dish runs away with the spoon. And then there's a whole thing on social media then, about it. About you it. can't have that. Yeah, and you have the whole dish run away with the spoon. And then you have the whole question of, like, you know, did the spoon cheat on the sun and everything else? And then, you know, it's just, it's a pain right in the ass. It's just not only cracked up to be. Can you imagine a TMZ for fairy tales? Oh, that'd be kind oh, of. Oh, that would be great to see. And I hate Fairyland, which again, remember, you can get October 14th, your local shops and digital. I want you to get it at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards, too, in Virginia Beach if you're in the 757 area. Go see Bob. Tell me you want I Hate Fairyland from Scotty Young because let me tell you, we've, we've read it. This is one you're going to want to add to your poll immediately because it's just from start to finish there's laugh out loud moments there's yep. there's holy shit moments in, in there there's a lot of stuff man exactly and also i mean you know the whole going back to what we were talking about before the whole i hate fairyland i mean it was it's a fantastic book you should get it but i mean can you imagine like if you're in a fairyland and you know you have the whole dish with a spoon but then you got the whole people who are against anti you know they're they're, they're anti inter silverware dating yeah, you, you can't, again, you can't have that. You can't you're, have you're, that. You can't have some, that kind of intolerance. I mean, flatware matters. Okay. Flatware matters. I mean, just, just keep that in mind. We gotta get that hashtag going on Twitter. And we <laughs> want you to go on our Twitter at Down and Nerdy 757, our Facebook pages as well, facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy online. Downandnerdypodcast.com. And of course, speaking of Twitter, I'm at James Ace with him. And Nick, you are at Merck with one arm. And so here's the thing. Also, you can hit us up. Uh, some other things as well. Again, we, as James mentioned, we have dinerpodcast.com. We're also on the Facebook as well, and at dinerity757 on Twitter. And again, thanks to Scott Young for coming on. Remember, if you want more information on I Hate Fairyland, also on some of his dates where he's going to be doing some signings, go to visit and visit scottyyoung.com. Hit him on Twitter as well. And again, awesome stuff to talk about with him. I loved his take on the whole Neil Adams thing. Yep. I loved just talk to him and his whole ideas of what he wanted to do with some of the whole I Hate Fairlands. It was kind of interesting too, James. I quickly want to get your take on this and how, yeah, he just said, you know what? Go with that idea that no one else, no no, no big publishers would touch, no other publishers would touch. Go with that idea because that's going to be the most successful one. And I think that that's one of the things that Image does so well. Mm-hmm. They let they let creators run with these crazy ideas, and it works. And that's why Image has been called one of the coolest comic book companies in the world because they run with stuff like this, and it ends up being amazing. I mean, where where else are you going to get stories like I Hate Fairyland and Plutona and Sex Criminals and Southern Bastards stuff like that? This is what Image does that nobody else is going to do because they don't <laughs> care about playing it safe. It's, it's kind of like the whole crap cakes and football. That's what Image does. It's like yeah, exactly. these comics, these characters, this is what Image does. <laughs> this is just what they do, and, and we can't wait to talk about – we know about some more Image comics that are coming out. We can't wait to talk to those creators and share that with you as well because, man, Image has got some great stuff coming out. Trust it, me on that. Exactly, and with that, I'm going to leave you with this. As I always do every week, nerds, Always practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.